I work on a painting till it stops bothering me. You know, I mean, that's, that, yeah, that's when I leave the thing alone. Loading artists, audio inside. Loading artists, audio inside. Oh, it's Artcast, it's Artcast, it's Artcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen by your easel, maybe you can grab a chair. Or even take it with you like you ain't got no care. Loading artists, audio inside. Loading artists, audio inside. So sit back and relax and grab your headphones too. Adjust your volume, it's Artcast. Philip J. Mellon welcomes you. So sit back, oh yeah, it's Artcast. Loading artists, audio inside. Loading artists, audio inside. So I just wanted to welcome you to Oddcast, Joanne. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. So, ready for the questions? I think so. I was ready as I'm going to be, sure. Okay. <laughs> so, what were some of your early experiences with art, and when do you feel like you got serious about it? Um, well, probably college. Well, I mean, as a kid, I did, do, did make paintings and took... Um, classes at the Museum of Fine Arts in Boston. Um, so I liked art. Uh, but I didn't major in it at first at school. I, um, I majored in writing and sociology and then switched into art around my um, junior year of college. Then my senior year of college, I, um, I went to Europe with a study abroad program. And yeah. um, I, you know, for the first time, I started to look at American art, like at the Tate Museum, and seeing American art um, in the context of European culture made me identify with being American, and um, I, I enjoyed it. I, I, seeing American art out of the context of the United States made me really appreciate artists like Johns and Rauschenberg and their wit and yeah. the identity of what it's to be an American um, and an American painter. So that was probably the first time I had like an oh wow moment, and I was probably twenty years old. So yeah, yeah, that's I great. think after that, and then I I was lucky I was able to stay in Europe for a while because I planned this study abroad in my senior year. So I traveled all through Italy and um, saw a lot of Renaissance and early Christian art, and I you know I um I really started to look and study art. So that's probably the first time that I started to take myself seriously as an artist. So you mentioned a little bit about school and uh, how do you feel important is formal art training to an artist? Well I think it's important because um, 
it's an instant community for you going to art school. Um, and that, that community is really important because you learn how to speak, you learn how to look, you learn how to use visual language, you, you see what other people are doing. So, um, you know, your instructors are one thing and, and the classes. I mean, I was in school in the, in the 70s and 80s, so the, the teaching style then was, was not very formal and it was pretty much anything goes. But it's that instant community that you have with other artists that's really hard to get if you're just painting in isolation or making work in isolation. And, and the act of creating art is very solitary. So that, that art school training gives you the first taste of what, it's to be, what it feels like to be in an artist community, which is key to being an artist. So I think it's very important. Back to the work a little bit. When, uh, when creating a work, do you use any sketches or preliminary work in the process? I do not. Um, I mean, that would probably be a good idea, but um, it's not something I do. I jump right in. You know, um, painting for me is a very physical act, and um, no, I jump right in. I, um, I make a lot of mistakes, but yeah. no, I, I don't do, um, you know, I work on paper a lot, but those, those are separate works, and everything overlaps in terms of one work will influence another work, and I do work in series. But um, I, I don't do sketches. Um, you know, I might jot down a small idea that I have, but I can't transpose a, a sketch into a painting. Um, it's, it's, even though my work is very um, controlled and formal, it's, when I'm working, it's a spontaneous act. Yeah. Building block type of process. Interesting that I, I saw your gouache paintings, which you actually call drawings. Right. Yeah. Only because they works on paper. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. I always yeah. make that distinction. To me, a drawing is a work on paper. You know, so it doesn't, even though I'm using paint, uh, it's on right. paper. So I call them drawings. Um, yeah. Those are very direct. Those, those are, um, I mean, it's, you know, the, I, I labor the paintings. The drawings, um, I mean, I labor everything, but the drawings are much, are much quicker, obviously, because it's, it's gouache on paper. But it's yeah. the same process where I start with something like a shape or a line, and I, I build upon it, build upon it, build upon it. And um, with the drawings, if I lose it, I've lost it. I mean, it's, it's gone. I have to throw away the paper. With the yeah. paintings, I can, I can, because it's oil. I can um, go back. I can erase. I can, I can try to get it back. But you know, the the element of freshness is important to my work, and it's um, kind of an ox. It's kind of um, the antithesis of what I actually do, because I actually do struggle quite a bit. But yeah. the outcome I'm looking for is like a, I'm I'm looking for a freshness to the work to um, yeah. You know, clean freshness, just just whip this off. But that's really not the case. It's, it's the opposite. <laughs> I, can, I feel like I can see that a bit because um, I was wondering how steady your hand is. Oh, it's not steady at all. I use tape. Uh, you know, um, oh, okay. Tape. Yeah, uh, uh, those hard edges are, are are done with tape. So I do a lot of like the um, because I have this sign making tape that I use, which I lay out. 
So I'll do a lot of doodling and, and quick mark making on the tape and then cut it. So, so it looks very spontaneous and like I have a steady hand. But by the time I put it on the paper or the canvas, it's cut. So, you know, um, yeah. you give yourself the edges, the hard edges. And I give the, myself the hard edges, not on the paper or the canvas. I, I give myself those hard edges by cutting the tape. Oh, cool. I, I feel like with uh, the drawings, if you don't mind, I say a couple of things. Um, they, uh, they, they almost remind me of a plan view of, like, say, architectural drawings or blueprints. Yeah. Well, that's nice that you say that because um, the influence for those drawings and, of course, the paintings um, is architecture. Um, yeah. You know, I love modern architecture. And um, I'm a big student of modernism in general. And I like the crossover of the diff disciplines. I'm, you know, very much a follower of the Bauhaus school in terms of cross-disciplinary um, aspects, architecture, art, and design. So what was your original question that you can see these, some of the, they remind you of architectural blueprints? Is that what you were saying? Yeah, like a plan view from above of, say, interior spaces, just because some of the forms and shapes and hard edges, I guess, is what I'm thinking. You know, yeah. whether it's, you know, the, the, just the plan view meaning from above. I don't really think of them in terms of, well, I mean, I do work on them a lot. You know, I'll, I'll put it on the wall, then I'll put it on the table. So there's a lot of that going on. So I am standing over them. You know, I'm viewing them aerially also at, at different times in the process. So, you know, that, that could fly. That could definitely work. <laughs> <laughs> what feeds your work more? Would you say your other work, looking at the work of other artists or something other than those things? I, I, well, you know, I hate to give you a vague answer, but it's, it really is all of the above. I mean, I, I work in series, so I try to work on, on more than one painting at a time. Um, for two reasons. One, because one informs the other. But the other is so just so that I don't get too obsessed with one, so that if I'm getting too obsessed with one work, I can move to another one and then, you know, see the thing a little bit fresh. So definitely my painting informs the other painting. So my own work tells me what to do. But then the rest of it, too. You know, I'll be in a gallery and I'm looking at somebody else's art and it'll spark me or a museum. And then just walking down the street different influences. We've already mentioned architecture, you know, a, a dress somebody's wearing, a, a, a window display, you know, all of that, those external um, influences end up in the studio. You just, you just don't always know where they're coming from. It's, it's such a, that place in the studio is, is such a, um, you know, because you're spending so much time alone, it's, it's your, your head really gets into you can't really track what's um, what's influencing you and what what's not, but formally it's it's other paintings because I work in series, but other things come in all the time. Do you listen to any music while painting? Sometimes I I, yeah. I listen to jazz and I I clearly I listen to rock and roll, um, but a lot of times I listen to talk radio. You know, um, I don't know why, but for some reason that calms me down. Whereas music can actually distract me. Um, yeah. It, it can actually distract me. 
So if I'm in a good place, I'll put on music because then I can just go. But if I'm having an issue, uh, you know, trying to figure something out, I actually turn everything off. And then if I just want background noise, I listen to talk radio. I listen to NPR. What is the most experimental thing you've done to a piece? Well, I'm not so much recently, but I experiment with materials a lot. So um, I've had some bad experiences in my past where things didn't, you know, um, things didn't mix. So, but I do experiment with materials a lot. But then a lot of times, you know, I will do something like, um, I'll get to like three quarters of the end of the painting and it's just bothering me, bothering me, bothering me. And sometimes I'll do an overall something where I cover the entire canvas or painting with something. And it, sometimes it works and sometimes it destroys the painting. I mean, there's like, there's no going back. So yeah. um, I've done that. I've done it quite often. You know, it's either, either it's going to work or that's the end of the painting. So I'd say that's the most experimental thing. Destroying something. <laughs> <laughs> you got to destroy every day, right? <laughs> yeah. All right? How do you get yourself out of creative block if you ever find yourself in that? I keep working and not always to the best success. I mean, I've had situations where I'm making one bad painting after the next and I, I can't stop. Um, so it probably would have been better to take a break, but I don't. I generally keep working um, and, you know, try to work it through, work it through, work it through. So I, 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 I've had blocks, but it, those blocks didn't stop me from working. I kept going. Not to great success, but yeah. then success maybe two years later or something, you know. Um, so, I'll, But the other thing I'll do is I'll go out and look at art. That yeah. that's very helpful. I mean, I'm lucky. I live in New York, so when I'm stuck, I go out and I, I see art. And a lot of times, I'll just go to a museum where I know I'm going to be able to see stuff that are my old favorites that I like. You know. Yeah. So I'll spend a day in a museum, and that helps. That really helps because you get inspired again. You know, it's um. So that that's a great thing to do. You know, sometimes it's good to go to contemporary galleries, and, and which I do all the time anyhow. But sometimes if I'm blocked, I'll just go where I know I'm going to see something that I like. I'll revisit painters that I love. And that's a museum. Yeah. Can you use three to five words to describe your work or a particular series? Yeah. Well, I wrote this down last night. I use formal language, um, abstract formal language. I, my work is very reductive, which, you know, um, lends itself to that whole modernist aesthetic of um, less is more on some level. And um, my work is simple, and it's, I like it, it's very direct. I mean, what you see is what you get. And hopefully yeah. on some level it's witty, you know. Um, I like a sense of wit in yeah. work, some humor. You know? Yeah, I was just going to say that. There's a bit comical uh, element there. Well, I'm Even... a big fan of that. Um, yeah. You know, I curated a show called Wit at the Painting Center. And oh, cool. it was all abstract artists. And um, it was work that I considered witty. And, and that was the premise of the show. 
abstraction convey abstract language that conveys wit. So right. hopefully my work conveys some of that also. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like um with with uh say the I, I don't know what else to call them except for calling them bands. The, mm -hmm. the sort of the gestural paintings with the ovals yeah. and yeah, I find it neat that some of them they seem to pour down from above. I could be drips. wrong, you know. I, I'm yeah. Sorry? Well, drips. I mean, drips coming down on some level. Yeah. Those circular bands. Yeah, I feel like some of the bands are just nice you've done in some of the paintings where they, they almost rest at the bottom of the canvas and then start moving horizontally. Right, right. They puddle. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they puddle. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things I wanted to say I just thought was fun, too, and, you know, I guess getting back to the, the witty part of it is uh, I, as a viewer, I almost want to count the bands. And it's one of those things, it's almost like a test, like you, you can't possibly count them all. No matter how, you know, because there's always one hidden kind of thing, you know, that, that you missed. Like, how many boxes are in this graphic or, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Next, we have Joanne Freeman talking a bit about the figure-ground relationships and negative space in her work. Well, that's the nice thing about this process is that you can... I'm doing it less and less, but I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, you make these crazy rules for yourself in the studio um, that you adhere to. So, you know, lately, I'm, the bands are not crossing over each other. They, they're lining up side by side because I'm very interested in the space that, that they're creating in between the bands because that's another line. So it's, again, that foreground um, ground relationship and um, that, that little space between those bands has become very important to me. So I'm not overlapping them as much. But in the beginning, I was overlapping, so I was getting these great transparencies of what happens when one color goes over another and what's behind and what's in front. Um, so there's a lot of, again, I'm, I'm trying to make them look like fresh and, and clean and um, easy to do. But in reality, there's a lot of pushing and pulling in terms of right. putting something down, getting rid of it, you know, bringing it back. Um, there, there's a process involved. Oh, I wanted to ask you the say I, I call it just in the beginning of getting to know the work is the the white space like say yeah. outside or, or in the interior part of say the group of bands let's say is do you consider that negative space are you playing with that or is it more well I do consider it negative space because I'm also trying you know I'm I'm also acknowledging or paying homage to um, you know the Washington color field painters like Morris Lewis who who painted on rock, rock canvas, and Gene Davis yeah. did some work with, with um, rock canvas also. In my case, though, I'm painting the rock canvas. I, I mean, I, I, it's not rock canvas. But it is the um, background space, so it is the negative space. But in reality, at, at sometimes, well, usually what I do is after I've finished the painting, I will mask out the bands and put that white color in. So a lot yeah. of times it's actually becomes the, um, it becomes the foreground color. And I do like that interplay, just like in the drawings of foreground, ground space, negative, positive space. Um, yeah. You know, so they start to get very, very flat. Next up, we talk a bit about shaped canvases. I uh, there was one I just noticed this morning because uh, 
um, the three cords uh, that uh, the shaped canvas on either side, like at the top corners, right. they're kind of removed. That's a great shape. I think Robert, not Robert, Robert Mangold uses that shape um, where you curve one edge because most people don't, it's not something you notice it at right away. You know, yeah. it's, and, and, and it's that whole idea of a painting as a whole and the, um, you know, the, the concentration on the edge of the canvas, what's happening when you start to look at a painting as an object, the, the, the shape of the canvas becomes very important. So yeah. the edges become very important. Um, and when you curve one edge, it starts, in my case, it starts to mimic those interior forms, those circles. Yeah. So the whole thing starts to read as a little bit as an object. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, those, um, well, the edges appear uh, that, you know, we've been talking about how relatively important or, or just important they are. And like you said, it becomes an object because the, the curve is is um, repeated in, in, in the, the, interior the actual form. frame of the canvas. Yeah. And, um, you know, the whole structure of the whole thing becomes part of the, the composition. Um, yeah. Yeah, you read the painting as both a two-dimensional surface but also as a three-dimensional object. So that's the reason for the, the shapes that whole tradition of painting as an object. And, and the circular ones are a good example of that, too. Oh, Whereas, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the lines completely mimic the circumference of the circle. So in a tra traditional circle, you would think of it as a target, and you would, you would go for the center, the focal point. Yeah. But I'm doing it the opposite. I'm creating bands that bring your eye out to the edge. So... Again, it's reinforcing that idea of the painting as an object. And it's also goofing on the idea of a target because there's no focal point. <laughs> right. The middle's blank, you know. So. Mm -hmm. I, I, it's interesting, and now you're talking about the circle canvases, that the, the bands, they sort of create this vertical energy uh, w within the round, and it seems like a, a different type of cropping of the bands themselves from, the say, the more rectangle paintings or squares. I think the rectangle paintings are more physical, just the, by virtue of the fact that my um, rectangular paintings get larger. There's the physical act of, of you know cutting a stroke that that big. So the whole yeah. experience is is for me is way more physical when I up the scale like that. Okay, I know you've mentioned some artists already, but I was wondering if there's any other artists that you'd like to bring up. Well, I don't remember what I said. Done the first go round. So I did write a list last night of, of artists that I like. I mean, there's clearly a lot um, because, you know, I, as I've mentioned earlier in the interview, I, um, you know, I really like the teachings of the Bauhaus school. So my, my influences come from um, other disciplines other than just painting. But the, the, the painters that I've been looking at that I thought of last night are definitely Ellsworth Kelly. Um, and then I look at this Italian artist who, who just died last year. It's Carla Riccardi. I think I put her in the notes. Yeah. She's an Italian yeah. painter, came out of Art Provera. I look at Mary Heilman's work a lot. I love the paintings of Paul Feely. Um, and I like his writings too. And I look at Morris Lewis. 
And then I look at the um, the California, they call them the California classicists. They were these geometric painters that um, were painting in um, Los Angeles in the 50s and, and up to very recently also. And that's painters like Carl Benjamin and Lorser Feitelson. Um, I look at their work. I look at Leon Polk Smith's work. And I look at Bryce Martin's work. Yeah. And I'm sure I look at other people's work. Oh, and I, I, I love Jonathan Lasker's work, but he's a contemporary. Um, right. Yeah. So those are just some that I look at. I, I look at quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> well, again, with uh, some of the gouache drawings, I, I feel like they're, um, they resemble, like, say, arrangements of small flags, whether it's from a, a boat or a ship. Like the the way that they communicate with each other through the flags. Oh, interesting. Yeah, just because uh, they they seem to move. I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised if they were made into sculptures and there would be kinetics. Say wind, you know, would have uh, wind activate certain parts of them. And I mean, this has nothing to do with anything, but a, a good portion of them are made up at Cape Cod, um, Massachusetts. But that so that yeah. I mean, might be too much of a reference. But, um, you know, they're made around water. But I think of all of my work, and especially those works, I've definitely looked at flags. I happen to like flags myself. Yeah. So I, I definitely get that reference. But I also look at signage, you know. Um, so all of that, I like all of those things, um, that, that where you get the meaning of something directly. And I also like symbols. You know, sim uh, um, I'm very I'm attracted to all of those things: signage, flags, symbols. Um, it, you know, it's it's definitely in the work. Next, we have Joanne Freeman sharing a quote that she has selected. And I'm going to share the the quote. I think is attributed to Philip Gustin, but in the actual quote which is already now um, somebody else quoting what they thought he said, Philip Guston is credit, crediting this quote to John Cage. But the quote goes like this, coming from Philip Guston. I believe it was John Cage who once told me, when you start working, everybody is in your studio, the past, your friends, enemies, the art world, and above all, your own ideas. All are there. But as you continue painting, they start leaving one by one, and you are left completely alone. Then if you're lucky, even you leave. It's talking about that studio process, and that, which is important to all of us, and what we all go through in the studio because of the time we're spending alone and the, the activity that we're doing. And, yeah. you, you know, that perfect moment when you're in a, a good space and all those voices of self-doubt in your head and everything else that you're worried about and, and all the influences that you're taking in there and deciding you're not good enough with, they all quiet down and you get in your place, your zone. Yeah. You know, where, which is why we're all artists. Well, thank you for sharing that. Joanne Freeman has two shows coming up this month. Here she shares with us the info. Would you mind telling the listeners of your upcoming show and where it's at and the dates, if you have that offhand? 
Oh, I'd love to. Um, I'm going to be showing with Catherine Markell. She's on um, 20th Street in Chelsea. I think it's 529 West 20th Street. That show opens, and I'm showing um, Suzanne Laura Kamen, who you've interviewed on the show. She's yeah. going to be showing in the next, we're showing together. They're, they're two solo shows, but um, we're going to be showing together. And um, that show opens on February 18th. And um, I think it goes to, I, can you look? I think it might go through March 26th. Yep, you got it. Yeah, I wrote it down. Oh, yeah, it's through March 26th. And then I'm 26. also showing some of the round paintings up in Hudson, New York, at um, Gallery Gree in Hudson, New York. And that show opens on February 20th. Okay. What was the sure. gallery again? It's called Gallery Gree. G-A-L-E-R-I-E. Gree. G-R-I-S. I want to thank Joanne Freeman for taking the time to talk with me. And I want to thank you for listening. Cheers. This has been Oddcast. I'm your host, Philip J. Mellon. Thanks for listening. And keep the dialogue going. Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let me ask you this. Define abstract art. Oh, come on. Okay, here's a better one. What does this painting mean? <sighs> I'm getting nowhere with this. Forget it. Hotcast Home is A-H-T-C-A-S-T dot com. Thanks again. Uh, some of the drawings, the gouache drawings, uh, remind me of figures that may be in uh, yoga poses. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, well, maybe a little bit, you know, in terms of, I mean, when I was a student, I, I love figure drawing just because it's, it's an enjoyable thing to do. I mean, I do it for enjoyment. Um, yeah. And when I'm doing those you know, my scribbles, my marks, I am trying to, um, I am trying to create random forms, right. subconscious random forms, which then I control by cutting them. But the, these things are coming out of scribbles on some level. And my figure drawings, I mean, they weren't scribbles, but that, that, that zone you get into with figure drawing where you're, you know, you're looking at the figure, you're, you're scribbling, you're, you're look, looking for a great mark. In yeah, terms yeah. of using using the figure as your source, but what you really think concentrating on is getting a great mark on from from that figure, so a great line, a great gesture. Yeah. The gesture, so, you know, it it, it could follow because the 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 mindset is the same.